Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to another Empire Podcast interview special. Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer is, in case you somehow missed it, one of the biggest and best films of the year, an extraordinary three-hour epic which chronicles the life of noted physicist and part-time destroyer of worlds, J. Robert Oppenheimer, as he and a team of scientists attempt to beat the Nazis to the construction of the first atomic bomb during World War II. It's an intensely cinematic experience that is powered by the sheer force of Nolan's filmmaking will, but it also rests very much on the shoulders of its amazing cast, headed up by Killian Murphy as Oppenheimer and Emily Blunt as his wife, Kitty. And now that the SAG after strike is finally over, and with Oppenheimer having debuted on Home End after its record-breaking near-billion-dollar haul in cinemas, I was delighted to be afforded the opportunity to sit down with both of them in a London hotel room recently. In an extensive conversation, we talk about how they shaped their characters, their reactions to reading the screenplay for the first time, and much, much more, including Nolan's directorial style. And I was delighted to find that they have an easy chemistry, having worked together before on A Quiet Place Part 2, and are much, much funnier than their counterparts in the film. Although that's fairly easy. By the way, this isn't a spoiler special, which is why it's living on our regular feed, but it does assume knowledge and familiarity with the movie. And we also discuss the ending. So be careful. And if you haven't seen Oppenheimer, maybe wait to listen to this until you have. Or barrel straight in. It's entirely up to you. I had a blast with Killian Murphy and Emily Blunt. Hope you do too. Here they are. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Killian Murphy and Emily Blunt, stars of Oppenheimer, The Oppenheimers. Yes. There's a sitcom. The Oppenheimers. The Oppenhomies. Yeah, it's a one laugh sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> you, have to, you have to hunt for the laughs yeah. in that one. I remember when we first got our um, sort of aging makeup on in the camera test. Oh, yeah. And we couldn't stop laughing looking at each other because it was quite a sight. And I remember Chris Nolan going, God, you wouldn't want those two over for dinner, would you? <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of true. Yeah, we yeah, were, we yeah. Were a little out of control. I remember then we oh, just, we're just could not out of control. stop laughing. Yeah, couldn't stop. And we were like, Chris, we just need to get it out of our systems now so that we're ready to rock <laughs> on the day. What did you say to us? He goes, guys, laughing's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, then we're cheating. Well, there you go. Is that is that a, a typical Chris Nolan piece of direction? Um, on because it's super serious. It's a super serious <laughs> film. So I'm imagining. Is there, is there a lot of levity on set or is it very much well, focused on the task at hand? It is a super hand? serious film, but he's not super serious. No, he's very, very dry. Very, yeah. very dry British sense of humour. Um, but I, we did have a laugh. You know, I, I find it important on films because most of the films I do tend to be terribly serious or terribly sad or <laughs> just fucked up. But they... I, Guys, he's doing a musical next and he can't wait. <laughs> so I, I think you need really to keep it. A really depressing one. But like even on Quiet Place 2, which again is pretty intense and pretty out yeah. there, we had such fun. Like we, So much fun. And I, yeah. for me, I think you need... I need to be in a state of kind of relaxation to get to that place that when you walk on set, you're not tense. Because yeah. tension is your enemy, really, I think. Yeah. So, and it was amazing, like, being pals with Emily and having worked together, it really helped, I think. It, not only in just in creating a nice environment, but also in the, you. Fe- I think you feel the history of this yeah. couple. And I think you get some of that stuff for free if, you, if you're supposed to play lifelong partners. 
but you really know and trust this person that you're working with and have such respect for them, then I think it does transfer. And then you also get to have a laugh. <laughs> it's true. It's, I, I agree. I think that us having worked together before and I we instantly hit it off even on Quiet Place. But I think you do have that accelerated friendship or understanding or trust. And I think I trust Killian more than maybe any other actor I've worked with. You know, I think we know Blimey. how to catch each other in a scene and we know how to kind of find the musicality of something. And so it's just, it was a joy. And we did try to create levity whenever we could because yeah. I'm very much like him. And maybe part of the reason we trust each other so much is that we both work very similarly. Yeah. Like I do take the work so seriously. I I never want to feel unprepared or unready or that I haven't thought anything out, but, and and he's very much the same. But I can't work in a toxic environment. I really do freeze up. And the beauty of Chris Nolan is that he he really gives actors wings because you realize you don't have to worry about anything else. There's no concerns about, is the script good? Where's he putting the camera? And like, what is that? And like, you just don't have any concerns ever. So you just, everyone could sort of take flight. You know, it was wonderful. In in terms of the prep for this movie, how, how did you all approach it as a unit, the, the two of you and and Chris Nolan as well? Is he is he someone who very much puts the emphasis on rehearsal, or is it very much when you get to set that then you're you're, you're doing your rehearsal then, or does he set aside a block before filming starts? I feel your journey was more extensive with him beforehand because of just the volume of what <laughs> the monumental task of taking him on. Like you and Chris spoke for a while. We did. He is, he's probably the most prepped director uh, I've worked with, and I've done it a few times. Um, but I, I, be, I would be the same as Emily. Like, I love prep. I love research. And on this one, I had... Chris gave me the script in September, and then we shot in the following February. So I had six months. Okay. So it was a lot. I mean, I would have taken another six, but it was, it was, it was good <laughs> to have that. And then we... We, 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 I flew over and back to LA and we'd, we were doing camera tests and makeup tests and, yeah, and yeah. I would, was constantly talking to Chris the whole time. But the, what, you're in such great shape when you have a document like that script because it was profoundly brilliant to read. And so, yeah. like, so probably the greatest screenplay I've read, certainly. Which I think people forget in some ways because yes. Chris is such an extraordinary director. You forget what an extraordinary writer yeah. he is. And that's sometimes sort of overshadowed by the experience of his films, but what he wrote was just tremendously intimidating. Like when you read it, you were like, how did one brain birth this? And it's, it was so intoxicating yeah. and exciting reading it. And challenging. Challenging. Yeah, all the, all the good things. I'm fascinated by the script. He wrote it in the first person, am I right? Yes. Thinking that? There's going to be a whole slew of copycats of, of terrible scripts <laughs> written in the first person from now on. And that's Chris Nolan's fault, but that's okay. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Uh, Emily, what's it like reading that script when it's in the first person, it's so intensely focused well, on one character? Well, quite visceral. And you feel like you're inside of it. And I realize that that translates when you see the film. I feel like this film reaches through the screen, wraps its arms around you and pulls you inside of it. And I think that I felt that reading it, it was very emotional. It was exhilarating reading it like that. And I think it then became very clear that this was written from his perspective and not only explored his life's journey, but the trauma of his life's journey, the challenges, the ambiguity, the 
conflict, I mean, all of it was was there. And there was something about it being written, like I walk into the room, I did this, I see him across the room. You're like, whoa, like it was sort of heart racing. Mm. I mean, exhilarating is is a great way to describe it and quite terrifying as an actor to read it in, in, in terms of you realize that there's an awful... <laughs> it's all on you. There's <laughs> a lot. There's a lot on your shoulders. Um, but it, I think as, as a reader, it puts you, it really puts you in the, in the story really quickly and in a, in a very unique way. Um, and then, you know, I think he wanted the audience to feel like they were inside of Oppenheimer's mind. We, it was very, quite interior to read it. And yeah. I kind of knew yeah. that it would in, involve a, quite an interior performance, not a big performance, a, a quite, quite an understated performance is what it needed, I think. But then, you know, every time he would call me up and he would say, oh, and by the way, um, I got Downey to play Straws and I got <laughs> Damon to play Groves and Blunt's going to play your wife and, you know, <laughs> Gary Oldman's going to pop in for a day and Branagh's going to pop. And you think, oh, well, like, not only are they the best actors in the world, but you think, yes, I can share the burden here a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, it's the best company of actors you could possibly dream of. So that made it easier as we got closer to shooting, knowing that you'd have these extraordinary, you know, um, colleagues in the, in the film with you. That's amazing. How long did it take you to read it? Because he flew over to Dublin. Yeah. And handed you the script. Did he yeah. tell you it was going to be in the first person initially? Or did you just no. go, right, bye, laters, and then <laughs> pretty much. Imagine Chris saying, laters. Yeah. <laughs> With his back to backwards baseball cap. Exactly. <laughs> laters yeah. did it. And we were high-fiving him. He, he, it was pretty much, I mean, without the, 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 the peace out thing he he did such just such a shame <laughs> such a shame he he gave this is what he did with everybody and this is what he always does he's never because he doesn't possess a computer or an email or a phone so he, <laughs> so he just delivers that. you I, like I want to live like that physic, everyone should really, I know it'd but be amazing I try but it's, it's digital world just wrecks everything doesn't it <laughs> but you know he he delivered this tome this this huge big thick printed in red uh, script which Apparently you can't photocopy you red can't photocopy paper. red. I also feel there's something slightly hypnotic about it. Maybe it's yeah. just the reason we all say yes. <laughs> because of the red script. You're sort of seduced by it. You don't there's know why you can't stop. subliminal messages on each page. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's a, and then he, well, in my case, he, I sat in his hotel room and he went out in Dublin. He went to see the Francis Bacon studio in Dublin, actually, because he's he a Francis Bacon <laughs> nut. So he went and I read it. And I think all of us had the same experience. It Like, it's a three hour read, you know? Yeah. For sure. And depending on how much or how little you know of the story, it's, it's a lot to take in. Mm. But again, it, you, you just know that it's something incredibly special. You know, I, I I don't know if that was your experience. Completely, yeah, the same. Did he do the same thing? Did he did he fly in, go peace out, <laughs> drop it on the table? Just the thought of Chris going <laughs> right, peace out, out the room. <laughs> 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 so good. Um, he so I was in LA for some reason, can't remember. He got wind of it and said, would she like to come and meet? And I just remember sort of, if I had had a jetpack, I would have put it on. <laughs> That's how desperate I was trying to get to his house. And we chatted for an hour and a half. And he is, even though there's this perception that he is intimidating and he's all these things, but he's so warm. He's funny. Mm -hmm. He is so British, yes. you know, isn't he? But he's, we talked about, 
I mean, everything but the movie for a while. And then he rather casually handed me this giant red script and said, yeah, so I'd like you to take a look. It's for the role of Kitty Oppenheimer. And if you, you know, she's quite, quite a force. And if you, if you're interested, <laughs> I'd really love you to do it. And I was like, oh my God, it was so casual that um, I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> so I went into his library and I read it. And when he came in, sometimes it's that scary thing where you have to kind of, perform it's great and yeah. i loved it. you don't yeah. have to do any of it you just are possessed by this extraordinary script and the first thing i said was i'm so emotional reading it i find this story so emotional he went good that's that's exactly what i want you know and uh, yes it's historical yes it's all these things but i feel he managed to trojan horse so many different genres into it it was like a horror movie it was oh, yeah. so mm. oh, like yeah. a chase thriller you're heading towards some destination and you know what happens you know mm -hmm. that they create this bomb but the way he wrote it was like there was so much mystery and it was heart racing i just yeah. loved it yeah and the emotional climax with the with the the, the, the different inquiries yeah. at the same time it's it's extraordinary of course the last the last scene the last line oh. for people i know chris said that you know initially when people started seeing it that they came out of floored and yeah. and then when you see the movie you realize exactly why it's just this extraordinary achievement that barrels along to the end and just leaves you bereft yeah. so that's a lot of fun <laughs> I think the thing about Chris, and I think it's it's something that we always experience as actors, or quite often experience, is that third yeah. act problem. Yeah, you know, absolutely. where how do you wrap this up? How is the ending? And, and you're often rewriting it as you're shooting. It's and it's it's a it seems to, yeah, and it's a it's a it's a it's a really common problem that exists in script writing is yeah. how to m make a you know how to end a film satisfactorily. And it's Chris always has bangers of endings yeah. in his films. And it's, I remember reading the, the, you know, the last line and the thing and going, holy moly. Oh, I can curse, can I? Yeah. Holy, holy fucking holy shit. Fucking shit. <laughs> I wonder if he, because every writer's different, but I, I must ask him actually, like, does he, does he map it all out? Does he have the I ending? don't think he does. Does he have like, I, I remember everyone's asked, so different. I remember, because I said to him, oh, Chris, it's such an extraordinary ending. And he said, I, 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 he said he, he, didn't dream it, but he thought about it, oh. it like very late at night and got up and wrote it, huh. um, the ending, because that's from Chris, like that's not from history, you know. That's oh, I was going to say, yeah. so there was, it wasn't a documented meeting that, no, that actually happened? Chris, yeah. Wow, that, that's, a, that's a hell of a thing. And, and in terms of the, the precision, I mean, he's so precise as a filmmaker and the, the film cross cuts cross cuts between mm. time periods and obviously the, the straws sections of the film and the, and the Oppenheimer sections of the film, Fission and Fusion. Is that in the script? I mean, yeah. how much of that is, mm -hmm. is found in the edit, I, I wonder? Uh, I don't think very much. It, wow. It, 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 they, he had so many interweaving narratives going on. Um, I think he had it, um, he really had it, had that down in its visceral sense of the cross-cutting and the intercutting between times and narratives. And that, that was there on the page. It was never written in a linear sense. No. Everything in Chris's films there is nothing by accident. Yeah, nothing is found in the edit. That is all the film. This the script that you read is the film, uh, um, and that's why there's no DVD extras or anything. <laughs> They're just you know, deleted scenes or cut scenes. They are. It is the movie. Yeah, and he 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 has an engineering sort of a mind for mm. for an artist or a, yeah. a, or a mathematical sort of mind. You know that he understands exactly where, where every frame of that film mm -hmm. he knew, and that's why. 
it's so satisfying to work for for crew members and for actors with a director that has such a clear, distinct vision. Because all you need to do really is help him realize that vision. Yeah. Which is the best feeling. It's wonderful. It's so freeing. And you said the word precise, which I think is right. He Mm. does have precision, but he's not safe. No. You know, and that's what feels so exciting is there's such expansiveness to the to the choices he makes, but they are precise for him. So you feel safe within this sort of unsafe uh, world where he's carving out new space for himself all the time in every single one of his films. And in the the making of the scenes, like on the floor, that is never restrictive. That is very freeing in the actual, when we're playing a scene together, for example, we have freedom within that to go places. He's very, very... Um, open Open, and collaborative to that stuff. So it never feels prescriptive. Despite him being so precise, it never feels prescriptive when you're making the work, which is an extraordinary sort of way to be able to work. I I was going to say, because obviously when you're on set, you have that safe environment, but you also have a very precise director. But, you know, there is allowance made for the the happy accident that that let a film breathe, let a performance breathe yeah. as well. That, you know, is that something that definitely happened for the, the two of you on, on this Yeah, film? completely. I mean, I did not find him restrictive. I think yeah. he's genuinely quite curious mm. as to how you're going to play his scene that he's written. I think he actually sees it as your scene then. He hands it over like quite willingly and kind of goes, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. he's sort of, sort of interested and curious. So... He he also is so clever and delicate with his notes and like he never kind of comes in after the first take. He gives you a few and then he comes in and just very quietly and privately to you. Because, you know, there's some directors who yell it on a bullhorn like, yeah. try it faster. And you're like, oh my God, you know, it's so not helpful. And yeah. he just comes in, he goes, you know, have you thought about this? And like, if you think about it in this term, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's just very quiet and just little kernels of yeah. clever wisdom. And he's always right. Always. So and you so kind of go. That must be annoying. <laughs> it's so annoying, and you're like, "Why didn't I play it like that?" You know, it's 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 great. He's 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 the best. Yeah, I presume he was very aware. I mean, there's always a danger, I think, Emily, with with films like this, with biopics, that the the partner, the 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 wife or the husband of of the of the title character could be a background figure. Um, was that something that you discussed with him? Because Kitty isn't that, and she certainly isn't that in the last hour and a half of the film she really comes to the fore there yeah i mean i i mean i did see her as a rather startling force of a person and for me with any character it's never about the screen time it's just about what you do with what you have and i think i was given a highly emotionally fraught um exciting woman to play who was not easy and was certainly not everyone's best friend and had her own demons struggling with drinking and um, really sending herself insane in the isolation and loneliness of Los Alamos and any kind of intellectual aspirations she had were diluted or squandered to to try to be the sort of spine that kept him upright in mm-hmm. many ways. Mm-hmm. But I think I think she... I guess I didn't approach her as the wife role. <laughs> you yeah. know, I just you have to approach her as an individual. Um and she certainly had some some great uppercut moments 
you know, towards the end where she, you, everyone is just so sick and tired of seeing this prosecutor just, you know, <laughs> drive this poor man to an early grave. And I think you're just wanting someone to come in and rip the face off him. And you're like, I was so grateful it was her. Yeah. It was great fun. That's an amazing scene. That Thank scene, you. Yeah, yeah, it's worth the admission, that scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, is. it absolutely is. It's, it's phenomenal. It's a film filled with eminently hissable characters. You have yeah. Straws, obviously, you have Dane DeHaan uh, as Nichols as well. But Isn't he great in it oh as well? Oh, my God, He's yeah. mean as a snake. I mean, not a bad performance in the film, I have to say. Everyone's you know, brilliant. Everyone's and Downey fantastic. is so Just extraordinary, stunning. isn't he? Mm -hmm. Just stunning. I love that scene at the end when he realizes he didn't get the... yeah. <laughs> oh, and he goes, I didn't get it, did I? Fine. Okay. And it's just so <laughs> <laughs> sort of childish. And I remember going, <gasps> watching that. I actually watched the movie with Downey for the first time. That's right, yeah, you we did. sat next to each other. We kept squeezing each other's arms. It was just so emotional. <laughs> it was emotional watching it with him. How many times have you seen it now? I've seen it. Um, well, I've seen it uh, once with Robert and my husband, John, and Robert's wife, Susan. And then uh, because we didn't get to watch it together as a cast, which was always kind of sad, it was the one sad thing really about the strike hitting when it did, John and I managed to get tickets to an IMAX screen in Nyack, New York in the middle of a shopping mall at like 4 p.m. And I watched uh, young teenage boys come in dressed as him. And I just was like, wow, this is so <laughs> wild. I've never been a part of a film that has that kind of movement. I mean, they had pipes dangling out of their mouths and like little <laughs> martini glasses. It was just so amazing. So I watched it with, you know, we snuck in when the lights went down and watched it like that. And at 4 p.m. people just, it blew the doors off the place. It was wild. I mean, it's just, it's been jaw dropping yeah, for all of us. Hard to kind of fathom really. That's amazing. Killian, what yourself, how many times have you seen it? And have you gone in character as, as Oppenheimer? <laughs> Are no. you one of those cosplayers? <laughs> no, I I saw it. Chris showed it to me, um, in his house in in Los Angeles uh, when he'd finished it. Right, and I saw it with my wife and one of my sons, and it was overwhelming. I remember calling you and texting everybody, and it was like overwhelming. Um, and then I saw it actually in Paris. I saw. I, I want to see the seventy mil. I've never seen it in IMAX. I saw a 70 mil print in Paris with the audience. And I remember they all couldn't get out of this, their chairs at wow. the end. They saw the movie and they all just sat there and didn't leave the cinema, which I've never seen. Yeah. And they were all just talking. Because that's the thing about it. It, it. It's very, very provocative and people have very different views. And it's like you're talking about the biggest themes possible. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so all these people were sat there either just winded or very engaged in, in in very lively conversation so so it was it was it was it has to be seen you know like that i think with because that's how he makes films for the cinema in the yeah. darkened room with strangers you know and mm. and it and it and it and it works like that you know yeah and what was it like seeing because you know, i i i've seen production stills on set of you with the ginormous IMAX cameras shoved right in your face, uh -huh. and the but the intimacy of the performance, the, the dust motes in the air, yeah. it's, it's just extraordinary cinematography. But the intimacy of the performance in the face of these giant cameras. I mean, how did you internalize the performance, but also make sure that it registered? Well, I'm a bit of a 
Nolan veteran, so I have had experience with uh-huh. these IMAX cameras before. But th- he did use them in a different way. They had decided to, himself and White, uh, his, his DP had decided yeah. to um, use them in a much more, for the, for the human face and with landscape. Um, but you get used to it, you know, and we, I think we all, we all yeah. get, got used to it. Very, the thing you should know as well about Chris's sets, like it's Chris, Heute, his DP, and the sound guy, and um, Spoom Up. There is no video village. There is no, you know, it's just him. It's very private. It's very intimate. Uh, it feels like an independent film shot on a, on a grand scale. So you never, it never feels overwhelming. You know, you get used to the cameras and the noise of the cameras and all of that. Mm. But after that, it feels very private and you feel very, very held and secure in it. You know? And uh, I know I've got to let you go, but um, obviously you track this this man through this most of his life. And But when you think of this movie and you think about the experience of filming this movie, which time period of Oppenheimer? floods into your head immediately uh, what was what was the one that you had most connection with well i i, I the, the the part the segment that i enjoyed shooting most i mean it was all a challenge and all like a reach and and i it was a that's the sort of work that i love was when you go this is huge you know and i kind of really push myself but i loved all that segment that we talked about that scene you know uh with kitty and jason clark yeah. like in that we shot in this tiny awful shitty bureaucratic little which apparently awful. it was and Strauss wanted him to have no sense of ceremony yes. or occasion he wanted him reduced to a shabby little back room somewhere yeah. to demean him to demean yeah. him and it was claustrophobically Awful. tight that set we were like there was no air like it was it, it but it helped like add to the tension and and for me it was that that time all, all of you guys coming in every day yeah this incredible troupe of our company of actors coming in and that was my favorite we shot that right at the end of the movie as well yeah. so we were all really close and we'd, we'd know we'd been through something and done something and so that felt it almost felt like um to me, like my old theater days, you know, with just one set. Yes. These incredible actors and just going at it, going at it, going at it, going at it. So I love that. That's Me phenomenal. Too. So whenever so whenever you have those moments, whenever, say, Matt Damon, you know, gives you a nod as he leaves yeah. the room, that, that is, you know, it's got the impact of everything that's come before. Well, it's yeah. also when, just the shadow of what you've yeah. experienced, not only yeah. together as actors, but, but as characters. And so you just have this like reservoir of... Mm experience together and it, it was really moving shooting all of those scenes and i got to kind of sit i mean she's kind of sitting behind him for a lot of it and i feel like i got to see your sort of profile at the back of your head but it was so like nerve shredding mm. like feeling him in that position where he's just being just raked across the coals day after day it was just it was such a tense few weeks but amazing i remember chris amazing. would always turn the ac on turn your ac up I was like, Chris, I am so skinny and so cold. Like, turn it up, turn it up. I also remember he'd stand in front of it and his hair was doing like fabulous things. I remember him saying to me once when I was doing Hanging Out the Sheets one day, this is like how funny he is. He goes, yeah, I watched the Dailies of you hanging out the sheets. And I was like, oh yeah. And he goes, yeah, it was, I just remember it was very windy that day and your hair was sort of going everywhere. So I just remember thinking, wow, Emily Blunt, high winds actress. <laughs> in that testifying scene and he was standing right right by the AC and his hair was going crazy and I was waiting till he looked at me and I went high winds directing and he went oh very good yeah 
<laughs> she does the best Chris Nolan impression. Amazing. He, he would not say that. But. I've, I've got to ask, you've, you've made so many movies with him now. Do you do a Chris Nolan impression? I do or? not. Emily does a much better Chris Nolan impression. I do not. He's a hard man to impersonate. Yeah, he is. It's Shameful. It, Shameful, Killian. No, Emily's she's much better. <laughs> well, on that note of cowardice, I think that's time. <laughs> To say what Chris Nolan would say, peace out, dudes. Peace yeah. out, laters. Peace, peace out, laters. <laughs> and then <laughs> skate five. backwards out of the room. Skate yeah. backwards. It's been a pleasure. Thank you Thank so much. You Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. And that was Emily Blunt and Killian Murphy, whom Blunt addressed as Kill Bill at one point, which is a nickname I'm totally hijacking from this point on. And that is it for this Oppenheimer interview special. Hope you enjoyed it. I could have talked to them for a lot lot longer. They were fabulous. Oppenheimer is available now on shiny discs and streaming, so get on that if you haven't already. And that is pretty much it from me. It's time to put on a baseball cap backwards, shout laters dudes, and skate out the room. It's what Chris Nolan would want, quite frankly. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Peace out! Peace out!